I'm Al Deschnow, and welcome to the 29th episode of Of Interest. Today is Good Friday, April 2nd, 2021, and this week, I'm going to share the last part of my testimony about being part of a wonderful church, share an interesting article about the importance of using big words, and then we'll be continuing our interesting study of Pilgrim's Progress by exploring the end of the third chapter where Interpreter shows Christian the man who woke from a terrible dream. Just a couple quick notes up front. First, wow, it has been an exciting week with all the new online streaming ministry things that have happened. I contacted a few ministry leaders that I know, and a few of them were actually willing to meet with me. A couple of them pointed me towards other contacts, and one actually offered to lend support. That's actually a funny story. Uh, I sent this email out and I got some back saying they'd like to chat further. And I went to the first church. We talked for about 30 minutes or so, got them interested. And they said, sounds good, Al. We'd love to help. Just give us your proposal and we'll take it to the board. And I was like, yeah, a proposal. I'll just go get that. I did not have one. I didn't even think to write one. And I've been working on actually crafting one for like the last three days for hours. I honestly was not ready for a church to actually believe in the ministry and actually want to support it. And so I just kind of went for a chat. And let me tell you, hearing that they were willing to support was so encouraging. Then I talked to someone from the denomination that I'm part of, and they put me in touch with some other missions organizations that were working on esports ministries and streaming ministries, and I'm setting up meetings with them. So it's been amazing. I've actually finished the proposal. I've given it to a couple of mature, trusted friends to look over, make sure it's okay. And then I'm going to post it online if you want to read it. And to top it all off, as I sit here writing this script, I'm literally one follower away from becoming a full-fledged Twitch affiliate. That means I've streamed for enough hours, 50 people have followed, and at least three of them watch consistently. And I know that sounds like a low bar, but there are a lot of people who can't hit it. And many who can't do it without cheating, like creating their own multiple accounts or setting up streams where they just watch themselves. Obviously, I'm not doing that because I actually want to see if people want to watch. And it has been so exciting that people have actually showed up. And once I reach affiliate, hopefully next week, then I get to do a whole bunch of other really neat streaming stuff. It'll unlock all these special features and it's going to get even better. So thank you to everyone who's been joining me Sundays at 3 and Tuesdays at 7 for the chats and the game night. That means so much to me. And thank you so much to everyone who's been willing to tell their friends, their neighbors, their churches, their gamer buddies about what I'm doing. You are the best. Please keep up the good work. I think God's doing something really special with this burgeoning ministry idea, and it can't grow without your help. Along with all that wonderful news is the announcement I've started my own Christian Ninja Discord server. Now, if you have no idea what a Discord server is, don't feel bad because I didn't know what it was until a few months ago either. It's basically a way to have a private chat room with a whole bunch of like-minded people. What's really cool about it is that it's really versatile. So you can have a different discussion thread in the room, like one for questions, one for prayer requests, one for sharing memes. And then you can connect over either text or voice if you want. Every person in the chat group 
has to be accepted by a moderator, so it's not like when you go to a Facebook group and you have a bunch of trolls and junk links. And if you want, you can actually have it automatically update people on what you're doing. So if you're playing a certain game or listening to a certain podcast or watching a video on YouTube, it can update your little status bar to show people what you're up to and they can come join you. I'm still figuring it all out, but it looks amazing and it looks like for a, like a wonderful way for us all to connect together outside of the podcast, outside of the streams. And I would love if you would get involved. If you are interested, head over to my new and improved website and click on the little ghost looking alien spaceship speech bubble guy under my socials and you'll be taken right there. All right. Thanks again and on with the show. Believe it or not, this is going to be the last part of my testimony series. Thank you to all the people that have been telling me how God's been speaking to you while I do this. It, it's meant a lot to me. So last week, I talked about the time that I resigned from the church in Ottawa and the, all these amazing miracles of provision that God kept doing for the time that I didn't have any income. Which brings us to the church I most recently served, this small, almost 200-year-old rural country church about 45 minutes away from the previous one. The way I got that job is actually pretty interesting. There was this guy named David who actually attended both churches. He lived in the Ottawa area part-time and he lived in Carlton Place the rest. And so he'd switch between the two churches and the one he grew up in was the one he spent time in and then he'd come and be a part of the one that I was pastor of. Well, once I resigned, after a few weeks of recovery, I started sending resumes everywhere and anywhere. And I mean everywhere. I went from BC to Europe, from Northern Canada to California. But as I said many times, God has never once gotten me a job using my resume. It turned out that the pastor at the church near Carlton Place that I was, that David went to, he'd actually resigned too, around the same time as me. And the church was looking for a Sunday preacher. Well, David told them I was available and I preached a few times on a week-to-week -week basis, and then they asked me to stick around, fill the pulpit for a couple months, and then after a few months, they asked me if I would be willing to sign on as their interim pastor for one year, just to get them over the hump. All along, they kept telling me, you know, you should probably keep sending resumes, the church is small, we're running out of money, we don't know what the future holds, but can you come back next month? Around the same time that they asked me to sign on, I was actually invited to be pastor of a church down in Sarnia, Ontario. Sarnia is a beautiful city. It's in southern Ontario. It's right near the border to the U.S. It has some amazing buildings. The church that actually called me was so, so, so nice. The building was like this cross shape. It had beautiful stonework, magnificent on the inside, had over a hundred people attending, so many great ministry amenities. It had this fancy parsonage next door. I remember going there and doing the big long interview process where you you know you sit with all these committees and then you preach and then you st I stood in front of the whole congregation while they peppered me with all kinds of questions and then we got into the car and went back home and the whole time that we were going through this I just sort of assumed that this was the church I was supposed to pick it was a bigger church a bigger city with more money more ministry opportunities and established leadership and you contrast that with the church that I was preaching at, which was small, like 20 people, had almost no kids, had almost no money, was in the middle of nowhere, and had a leadership team that had been serving for so many years, they were just exhausted. Now that seems like a no-brainer, right? 
Well, on the way back to the car, we were chatting about the church, saying things like, well, that was nice. Those people were nice. That back room looked pretty neat. The, the parsonage could work. But in both of us was this nagging feeling that something wasn't quite right. Then my wife asked me, is there anything in this church you're actually excited about? And I said, not really, but the financials look good. The church is big. The city has need. The people want us to come. I think we both went to bed that night uneasy. We really liked serving in the little church in the middle of nowhere, but there was no security there. And so I do what I always do. I turn to prayer and scripture. I open up my Bible, and the next verse in my reading plan was Matthew chapter 9, verse 16 to 17. It says, No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put in old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But the new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. And I distinctly felt God saying, Al, you're the new wine, and the church in Sarnia is an old wineskin. If you go there, they're going to burst apart, you're going to be spilled all over the floor, and everything's going to be destroyed. It would be really better if you didn't go. And I said, all right, Lord, sounds good to me, and I went to sleep. I woke up the next day, told my wife she took a few hours to get to where I was, but by supper we were both in agreement. That night, I got a call from the church asking for my decision, and I told them I had to turn him down. The guy on the phone was noticeably shocked, but what else was there to say? God had spoken. And so I stayed in the little uncertain church, and I rewrote their leadership structure. I worked to recast the vision, the mission, the core values. I even rewrote the pastoral job description to better match whatever the next pastor should be concentrating on. Well, after a year, they said to me, Pastor Al, we've been talking. We know your resume and your experience is kind of overkill for our little church, but we'd be wondering if you'd be willing to be our pastor. We don't know what the future holds, we don't have a lot of money, we can't pay you very well, and you should probably keep sending out resumes, but we thought we'd ask. And I took the job. And the next five years were some of the best I'd ever had. These people were kind and loving, like a church family. The leadership was responsive, interested in trying new things. They affirmed me in countless ways. And every week I was there, I grew more and more in love with the people, the ministry, and the area. Now, as you can imagine, if you heard a few of my last stories, I was a, a bit of a wreck by then. Between all the abuse I'd suffered and hitting burnout and all the rest, I had a lot of healing to do. But they were so patient and so gentle and so kind. I remember a meeting where the moderator said, well, it's time that we start talking about the next AGM, which means, you know, doing the annual budget again. And of course, that means talking about Pastor Al's salary package. And sitting right there in the meeting, out of nowhere for no reason, I had an anxiety attack and I literally started crying. I literally broke out into tears. I went from, wow, this is such a good meeting. I love this church. Please pass the cookies to a full flight freak out right in front of everyone. And they were so nice about it. I apologized. I said, it's not you guys. It's just a bunch of my baggage, a whole bunch of stuff from my past, some of which they already knew. And I'd be okay in a bit. And we were fine. We moved on. It was amazing. I can't tell you what a joy it was to serve that church during the first five years I was there. 
We grew in friendship and fellowship. God tripled us in size. There were more kids than adults at one point. And by the end of the fifth year, we'd stopped, you know, apologizing for not having any money. And we actually started planning on how to hire a second staff person to minister to the youth and even expand the parking lot. It was amazing. Having a church family that loves you, is patient with you, supports and encourages you, believes in your gifting, trusts you, includes you, sticks with you, even when your cracks start to show, is the greatest thing ever. I felt the hands of Jesus on me in that church. And so did the community, because they started to drive a long way to the middle of nowhere to experience that love too. I hope you have a church like that, I know during these COVID times, with all the churches closing and even shutting down, that it's really hard to be a church family. But I hope you're putting in the effort to connect with yours. You know, your real church family. Not some internet celebrity preacher's church that's never heard of you and you'll never meet. I mean, connecting with your church in your area, with the pastor that knows you, that has people from your town, that you can actually see face-to-face and experience things together. Please put effort into that community. Encourage your home pastor. Talk to the seniors and the youth in your church. Zoom with them. Talk with them. Text them. Be the church family for someone else that they need you to be. And let that church be your family too by sharing with them the stuff you're going through. Yes, I know. It takes effort. It takes risk. Yes, it's easier to just watch a preacher on YouTube, leave a comment, and call that church. But that's not church. As someone who's experienced all kinds of churches, ones that ignore you, ones that abuse and attack, and ones that demonstrate God's love in so many ways, I can tell you it is worth the risk. It is worth the work. Which is why I'm getting more passionate about this online ministry stuff. It's it's not just so I can connect with people online, but so I can be a conduit that draws them out of their homes and into a local congregation to experience that kind of love, the love of God, or as one child called it, to experience Jesus with skin on, because there is nothing better. This week's interesting article is entitled, What Does the Cross Mean? And it's found on the Ligonier Ministries blog. It's a wonderful short video featuring Derek Thomas, perfect for Good Friday, going through some of the really important words describing why Jesus was on the cross and what was happening there. Sometimes we shy away from using big words to describe the gospel story or theological concepts. It's like we think that since the gospel is for everyone and the Bible is available to almost everyone in the world, that if we're going to talk about the Bible or talk about the gospel, we should only use words that everyone knows. I don't think that's the right way to go about it. Think of any expert in any field. Actually, consider the stuff that you know a lot about, whether it's computers, carpentry, mechanics, quilting, knitting, medicine, science. The more you know, the more you understand the subject, the more important you realize using the correct words is, right? Sure, if you're talking to a kindergartner or someone just starting, you dumb it down a bit, but you still use the right word. What do you say? You say, okay, this is an applique which means it's a picture or a design that we add to what we're sewing. Or, 
This is what's known as a dovetail joint. See how the pattern on the end of the board looks like a triangle, like a bird's tail? That's why it's called that. And see how it fits together? Now, if you just keep using the word decoration instead of applique, or corner instead of joint, you're not really doing your student justice, are you? Because you know, as an expert, that using the right terms is really important. I think it's the same in theology. Yes, Jesus died on the cross for your sins is accurate, but it doesn't come close to explain what's really going on. And it's really, really important to know what was going on when Jesus went to the cross. Not only so you can understand, but so it can inform your worship, inform your prayer, your thanksgiving, your entire reading of the scripture. So, as I play this clip, listen to Derek Thomas define these four words. Redemption, propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. What does the cross mean? And here Paul doesn't explain it, but elsewhere he does, and he uses words to explain the cross. That's why a movie of the crucifixion of Jesus is wholly inadequate. The, the cross has to be explained. In the movie, all you see is the person dying on a cross, like other people died on a cross. But to really answer the question, what does the cross mean, there has to be a word, a logos of the cross, as Paul says elsewhere. He's used words like redemption. The cross is redemptive. And it's the language of the marketplace, uh, the payment made to release from bondage and from slavery. The cross sets me free from bondage to sin and self. He's used words like propitiation in uh, chapter 3 and verses 13 and 14, where uh, the word specifically means the cross is where the judgment of God descends. The wrath of God descends. And we asked the question in an earlier lesson, why did the wrath of God descend here? If Jesus is sinless, death is the wages of sin. But if he hadn't sinned, why does he die? And the answer that Luther gave was substitution. At that point, he was the greatest sinner the world had ever seen because our sins had been reckoned to his account. Uh, elsewhere, Paul will use the language of um, reconciliation, the language that comes from broken relationships and that God's relationship with, with us is broken and needs to be restored and the cross reconciles us to God. Redemption, a payment made to free a slave. Propitiation, an offering to appease the wrath of God. Substitution, to take someone else's place. Reconciliation, to be brought back into right relationship. Knowing these words, these concepts, opens a whole new understanding of what Jesus did because it reminds you of the danger you were in, the cost of saving you from it. Before Jesus redeemed you, you were a slave to sin, mastered by it, being page in the wage of death. Before Jesus offered himself as propitiation, you had been found guilty by the ultimate judge. You were an inevitable target of his white-hot righteous wrath against you. 
Before Jesus substituted himself for you, you were on a one-way path to eternal damnation and punishment in hell from which there was no escape. And before Jesus reconciled you to God, you were his enemy, a servant of Satan, and headed for an eternity of separation from the source of joy, love, hope, and peace. Don't be afraid of those big words, because they are beautiful words. And I hope they inform your worship today and on Easter Sunday. By the way, I'd love to hear what you think about all that during the live stream Q&A on Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Remember to send me questions any way you can, the contact me button, the speak pipe page, maybe even the Discord if I have it set up right, or just ask them live during the show. I would love to hear from you guys what you think. The last part of these podcasts is an interesting study on the classic book Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Remember, there's a link to this book for free on my blog if you want to read along. This week, we're looking at the last part of chapter 3, where Interpreter takes Christian to see the man who woke from a terrible dream. Now, this is the last stop on Interpreter's tour of his house as he prepares Christian for his long journey down the straight and narrow road to the celestial city. If this is the first episode that you're listening to, I highly encourage you to go back and listen from episode 21, when Christian first entered the house, because it's been a very interesting and informative study. So Interpreter takes Christian into the bedroom chamber, where he sees a man just waking up from sleep. As the man reaches for his robe and slippers, he is noticeably trembling. He is shook to the core. Christian just asks him what's up, and he basically says, I've just seen the apocalypse. I've seen the end of time where God judges the world, and right before I woke up, I realized I wasn't actually on the right side of history. Before me, a terrible crack opened in the ground, and it was the mouth of hell, and Jesus looked me dead in the eye, and I couldn't do anything to escape his gaze, and while he stared, my conscience began to accuse me, and all the wrong I'd ever done came flooding back into my memory, and I knew that I deserved to be in that pit. That's when I woke up. Now, if you're reading the same version I am, you'll notice that there's about a bazillion scripture footnotes in this section, and that's definitely because it's the most intense of all the scenes we're, that we've read about so far. But I think it might be a temptation for some readers to dismiss all this as old-timey thinking. All that fire and brimstone, God's judgment, beware the flames of hell stuff is, you know, the past. And now we're so much more reasonable and civilized and compassionate. Our, our age is so much better because we realize that God is loving and kind. Jesus is gentle and humble. Christians are victorious and joyful. Think about it. When was the last time you actually heard a warning about hell? When was the last time you heard a teaching about hell? The whole get right with God or spend eternity burning in hell argument doesn't really fly anymore, does it? I've actually seen Christians get upset when someone talks too much about hell. They figure, you know, you can catch more flies with honey than with, well, the threat of everlasting torment in the lake of fire. But I don't think we should do that. I, I don't think this is something of a bygone era that we should just get over because now we're nicer and more reasonable people. I would actually argue that 
this is something we've lost. And that because of losing it, we're actually far more deceived, superficial, and ridiculous people because of it. I don't think this is something of a bygone era that we should just get over because we're nicer, more reasonable people now. I would argue that it's actually something we've lost. What do you think Interpreter's warning is here? He doesn't even tell Christian. He just says, you get this, right? And Christian goes, yeah, I totally get it. And then the chapter ends. But why do you think this is here? What is Christian supposed to learn? Remember, remember, he's saved. He's been through the wicked gate. He's on the path of righteousness. He's a follower of Jesus, headed to the celestial kingdom. So why show him this? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. First, because all of Interpreter's visions were on a journey through Scripture, and you cannot get away from final judgment and what happens in eternity if you're reading the Bible. It is everywhere. So Interpreter, who's a good preacher, doesn't leave it out. Second, I believe it was a reminder to Christian of where he came from. One might wonder if this whole thing would give Christian PTSD flashbacks from when he was living in the city of destruction because he had plenty of terrible visions when he was living there. And I think for us today, especially on Good Friday, it is really, really important for us to remember not only that Jesus died on the cross to save us, but from what we were saved. We sometimes forget that were it not for the saving work of Jesus, we would have spent an eternity. Now listen, an eternity under God's judgment in hell, a place of everlasting torment, flame, pain, thirst, fear, and utterly devoid of grace. It's like if you fell in a river and the rescue service comes out of the, in a helicopter and, and picks you up and you say, oh, thank you so much for that. I, I thought I was going to drown. Uh, the waves were so rough. Uh, the rocks were hurting me. It was so scary. You're thankful to them for plucking you out, right? But consider this. As the helicopter ascends, you look out the window and you find out that drowning should have been the least of your concerns because just down the river was Niagara Falls. Except right before you get to the edge, the water turns into flaming acid. The bottom is broken glass and lemon juice. What happens in that moment of realization? Your stomach drops, right? Your knees buckle. You begin to realize just how scared you really should have been. And it makes you even more thankful to those who saved you. Except, of course, this analogy isn't quite right. So, in Jesus didn't pluck you out, right? Instead, he traded places with you. To make the analogy better, it would be that you were thrown into the river as punishment for your crimes, sentenced to death by raging rapid. And the rescuer, knowing what was ahead, brought you into the helicopter, but then, to fulfill the requirements of the law, took your place in the river and went over the edge for you. Understanding what you were saved from is so important, not only because it informs our worship, but it gives us a better perspective on how dangerous and deadly sin really is. And that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you heard something interesting. Remember, you can find all the links, more episodes, the contact me button, all my social links, the Discord, the Twitch channel, and a bunch of other good stuff, like my free books, on the new and improved website at artofthechristianninja.com. I know it's Easter Sunday, but I would love it if you join me for the Of Interest Overtime live stream chat show this Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then for the game night this Tuesday at 7. We really do have a lot of fun. 
If you appreciate what I'm doing here and want to support my ministries, there are a couple things you can do. First, please tell people what I'm doing. The only way that I can penetrate all the social media algorithms really is up to you. If you don't share it, nobody sees it. Maybe the best thing you can do to support me is simply to point people at what I'm doing. And second, if you do want to go that extra mile, it would be amazing if you'd either check out Al's 3D Printer or click the donation button, supporting the ministry with either a one-time gift or a monthly subscription. My dream right now is to do this full-time, but I can only keep the ministry growing and the content flowing with support from listeners like you. Thank you again, have a great week, and I'll talk to you Sunday at 3 p.m. and hopefully play games with you Tuesday at 7. <laughs>